0: Well, if you'd open your Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis, we are in chapter twelve this morning, and in a few minutes we're going to be reading in verse ten throughout the rest of the chapter. But I wanted to share with you before we began uh, a story. See, when I was in high school, there was a uh, there was a girl that moved in across the street, and I thought she was pretty cute. So I thought that. Maybe the best thing to do would be to try to get to know her. My strategy was actually very simple. Uh, early in the morning, I would uh, kind of peek out the window, and I would watch for when she would come out the door and get ready to walk to school. And then coincidentally, I would happen to walk out at the same time. The hope was that I'd get a chance to talk to her, maybe even walk with her on the way to school. And it worked. It worked. It actually worked. We became friends after not too long, and after a while, I started wondering if maybe she thought of me as someone who was maybe more than a friend, you know what I mean? Confirmation actually came when she one day uh, asked me on the way to school if I would watch her cat while she and her family went on vacation. Now, clearly she did not know me very well. But I thought, hey, this is a great opportunity to kind of solidify the relationship, so I agreed to do it. And wouldn't you know it, that very first day, I went to the door, unlocked it, and opened it, and like a flash of brown fur just went straight between my my feet, and that cat was gone. Nowhere to be found. And I jumped on my bike. I went down every little street. I searched every nook and cranny of that neighborhood. I even called animal control. I went to some animal shelters. After three days, three days of searching, I just figured that cat is long gone. And so were any of my chances of maybe eventually dating that girl. Until... Just out of the blue, I remembered a, a movie that I once saw where these parents, secretly in the middle of the night, swapped out their son's dead hamster with, with a look-alike. So that was it. That was the solution. I went straight to the pet store, found the closest match I could, and the rest is just history. It's just history. Fortunately, not a single word of that story is true. But it is true, isn't it, that desperate times, they call for desperate measures. In those times where you feel like everything is just about to fall apart, you've got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get out of that situation, to fix things. At least that's a temptation, right? I don't think anybody likes tough times, and I think that... As a society, we will typically use every ounce of our creativity, our ingenuity, every resource, every strategy, every tactic that we can to minimize things like pain and suffering and awkwardness and inconvenience and embarrassment. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Let's take a moment and we'll look at one incident in the life of Abram and we'll see what he did when times got tough. And as we do, we'll see what can happen. We'll see what can happen when we take our eyes off of God who is enduringly faithful to trust in other things. So let's look at our passage this morning. Genesis 12, verse 10. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? It says this in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels." But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife And all that he had. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. As we learned last week, Abram was a man of faith. God said, Go, and Abram went. He took off. And not only did he go, he dropped everything. He dropped his old life, his country, his people, his home, and he set out for the unknown, a place that God would lead him. And when he got there, he traveled the land from north to south and as he traveled he was worshiping God he was setting up altars and publicly worshiping God in that place and in so doing he's letting it be known in that pagan place where they're worshiping all sorts of other things that i believe there's one and only true God hebrews tells us that by faith this is hebrews 11:9 by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. All Abram had to go on was God's word that had come to him. And he went. He did it. This man's trust in God was just incredible. Abram believed God. Hebrews 11.10 says, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder was God. This wouldn't be one of those temporary, man-made, here one day, gone the next kind of things. This would be a people, a nation. This would be a land that is built on the solid foundation of God himself. And what a great example Abram is for us. Great example. We said last week that like Abram, you and I... Step into God's plan for the future by answering his call with faith. And that's it. Like Abram, we need to be a people who believes God at his word. And trust it rely upon it we need to be a people who move away from our old lives who follow jesus wholeheartedly who worship him everywhere that we go and share the hope that we have in him with others as we do that we're just like abram what a wonderful thing it is to trust god to take him at his word and trust him with your whole life god Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do with my life, I am yours. Use me. But it's not always easy, is it? It is not always easy. That's what we're told Abram discovered here in verse 10. Now there was famine in the land. And you would think that after Abram had trusted God and left everything and moved into the place where he didn't know he was even going, you would think that God would have just blessed, just opened up the floodgates and just blessed the socks off of that guy. And God had promised blessing, did he not? But here we have Abram, after traveling through this land, being obedient, worshiping God with everything that he's got, Testifying to the greatness of this God who called him out of darkness, and now he's stuck. He's stuck in this land where there is no food. How, he's go- how is he going to feed all these mouths that he's now responsible for? Remember, there are a lot of people who are with him. Imagine the responsibility that was on his shoulders. Not only did he have his wife, not only did he have his dead brother's son Lot with him, but he had all of those people in Haran who had heard his testimony, who had, who had come with him into the land looking for the place that God would lead Abram. That must have been a huge weight on his shoulders. Huge. God, I thought you were going to bless me. God, I I thought that you said that I was going to be a blessing to others. I'll tell you, God, I don't think these people who are with me feel very blessed right now. There's no food. Have you ever felt like that? like after having confessed your sin to God and trusted in Him, Jesus, You're my everything. You're my all in all. I want to follow You. You'll be the Lord and Master of my life. And you just think, life's not going to be perfect, but it's got to get better, right? There's going to be some good stuff up ahead. Maybe it's going to be a little bit easier. If I start doing what God wants me to do, shouldn't god bless my life shouldn't it at the very least be better than what my life was before and yet that's not the way that god works here when people place their trust in god my experience has been things don't get easier in fact very often things get harder Trials often follow faith. And those trials have a way of testing, don't they? Of proving, of even strengthening that faith. In fact, you find in the Bible and, and throughout history, really, that trials of all sorts of shapes and sizes have been used as tools to strengthen and shape the lives of some of the most influential people In history, someone once said, show me an athlete who can run fast. Ask him how he got his speed, and he'll tell you, I've suffered. Show me. Show me someone who has a bold voice, a writer who has a bold voice, and ask him how he got that, and he will tell you, I've suffered. See, you and I step into God's plan for the future by answering his call with faith. But it's important that we realize that faith is always tested. In one way or another, in one form or another, that faith, guarantee, it is going to be tested. There will be things that come our way that try and test whether or not that faith is real. When the rubber meets the road and life's difficulties come our way, Is that faith going to be proven true? Or is it going to be found something that we just claim to have? We just profess to have. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this, and you're probably all thinking to this passage right now, James 1, 2. He says, "'Count it all joy, my brothers,' when God just blesses you in unbelievable ways and you have more money than you know what to do with. No. Count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You see, those trials that we experience and go through in life, they have a purpose. They test, they prove, they strengthen. Ultimately, they shape us into the people that God wants us to be. And in God's economy, there's nothing more important than you becoming the person that He wants you to be and your relationship with him growing stronger and stronger and stronger. See, this isn't even in my notes, but so often when I receive blessings in the form of money or security or something in this life, very often that thing or those things don't strengthen my relationship with Christ. Oh yeah, maybe there's an initial, thank you God, and then I run off and go enjoy them. But it's the times when the difficult things in life come my way. And maybe there's not enough of the stuff that I need. Those are the times when my knees get sore. Because I'm calling on him all the time. And that is exactly what God wants to see happen in our lives. Now this doesn't mean that trials are something that we have to enjoy. And it doesn't even mean that trials themselves, in and of themselves, are necessarily good. But it's important that we realize that how we respond to trials in our lives, well, that's extremely important. It's a matter of faith. And here in Genesis 12, we get this fly-on-the-wall look at this moment in Abram's life, the man, the father of faith, and we see him tested. In a big way. And it took the form of empty stomachs. There was famine in the land. So what does Abram do? Verse 10 says, Now there's famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Seems like the responsible thing to do, right? There's no food here. I've got all these people that I'm responsible for, so I'm going to take them to the place where there is food. There's nothing sinister in that. And you might, you and I might look at Abram and we say, what a responsible guy. That's exactly what I would do. It's the right thing to do. There's nothing inherently sinful in what he did here. And it wasn't like he was giving up on God's plan for his life. I'm sure this was just a temporary solution. There's no food here right now, but that's okay. I'll, I'll just take my people down to Egypt for a little while. Well, this thing blows over. And then we'll return back to Canaan and we'll do what God wants us to do. You know, Egypt was actually known as a place of refuge for people from, from lands that were experiencing famine. They had the Nile River there. And that continued to help crops and produce vegetation there. Here's the thing. I don't think there's anything wrong with coming up with creative solutions to life's problems. If you can make a quick trip to that pet store and get that replacement cat, (laughs) then that's probably going too far. But But if we can use our minds and the resources that God has given us to remedy our situation and actually help other people, well, I think that's a good thing. I think we should absolutely do that. But I don't think that's the problem here in Genesis 12. I think the problem here lies not in what Abram is doing, but in what we don't see him doing. See, we don't see Abram at any place in here, asking God for help. We don't see that. I mean, isn't, isn't God the reason that he went to Canaan to begin with? It's because God brought him there. Wouldn't you think if he trusted God to leave everything and go to Canaan, well, then he would continue to trust God there. Doesn't that just make sense? Wasn't it God who said, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing to others? Well, then wouldn't you think that Abram would have just said, Okay, well, God, I came. Where's the blessing? I'm ready for it. God, we need you. God, we're hungry. We don't see any of that. If you place your trust in Jesus, you've acknowledged that going your own way was not the right way. It wasn't getting you any nearer to where you needed to be. In fact, it was actually taking you the opposite direction of where you needed to go. Well, why is it then that after having trusted in Jesus as our one and only hope, that so very often He's the last person that we turn to for help? And the same way, something, some, some disaster strikes, and immediately I'm thinking, how can I fix this? i got to fix it. And then I'm anxious. I'm stressing out. I don't know if I can fix this. I don't know what's going to happen. And I've forgotten to trust God. That's what it looks like we see happening right here. Rather than looking to God, Abram comes up with a plan. What's his plan? We already know. It's go to Egypt. Got to feed these people. Got to do something. That's a good plan. It's a reasonable plan. It's an obvious plan, right? But it's not without risks. There were risks that Abram realized when he had left Haran and was journeying into that foreign territory. The the idea was, there may be some people there, I don't know these people, I don't know what they're like, they may be savages, and they may be dishonorable to the point where they see my wife, and they just want to take her. And they'll do the unthinkable to get her. Isn't it true when you have something really, really precious something of great value, you worry more about that thing, don't you? It creates a- anxiety. You worry about, uh, about losing it. Maybe something will happen to it. That's one of the reasons. I just eventually had to sell that Aston Martin. I just, I was so worried that it was going to get stolen or worse, scratched. It would be the worst thing possible. We're told Abram's wife was absolutely beautiful. She was stunning. She was beyond beautiful, actually. The kind of beauty that just would make men crazy. Now you might be thinking, but Abram's Abraham's 75 here. How old was his wife? How beautiful was she really at that age? Well, you're right in your concern. But the reality is you've got to remember that even though she was in her 60s, People were living a lot longer those days. Abram doesn't, doesn't pass away till he was 175 years old. And Sarai, Sarah, when she passes away, dies at 127. It's very possible that being in your 60s back then was a lot more like being in your 30s and 40s today. But regardless, we don't know. It just says she was beautiful. And we see the result of that here in our passage today. So Sarai's beauty is one thing to consider. And compounding the situation further is the call that Abram is given. Remember, God said, I'm going to make you into a, a, a nation, a great nation here. And part of becoming a great nation meant that Abram and Sarai, well, they had to have kids. So we've got to protect this thing. God said, God's got big plans for us. This is going to be amazing. How are we going to protect this? We've got to do it at all costs. Whatever it takes, make sure that God's plan does not fail, at least not until we have children. That's not such a bad motive, is it? That's a good motive. He wants what God wants. And so we read that Abram comes up with a plan. Whenever they would come into a new territory, Abram said, Sarai, you are going to tell everybody that you are my sister. And that's what we discover in Genesis 20, actually, verse 13. We see him instructing her with this same instruction. It happened ever since they left Haran. And then in verse 11, it says, when... He was about to enter Egypt. He said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is, my, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say, you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. Now, I have to admit, I went back and looked at notes that I wrote down years ago, and they just blast Abram. How could you, you despicable, dishonorable person? I'll bet you don't even open the door for your wife, do you? All you care about is your own life. Does she serve you everything? you just sit on the sofa, watch TV? In fact, the remote's over there and you, you yell, yell she's working in the other room and you tell her to come get the remote for you. Is that the kind of man you are? That you are going to sacrifice your wife just for the sake of your life? It sounds really bad. But actually it's genius. It's genius. Let me explain. Please let me explain. <laughs> First of all, telling people that Sarai was Abram's sister, well that's partially true. Okay, so if you're if you're all upset about the the lying, deceiving aspect, is not as bad as you think, because you've got to realize Sarai was his half-sister. Same father, different mothers. Okay, it's not, it's not she is my sister. It's not that big of a deal. It's not untrue. It's just not the whole truth. It's a small deception. But that's not really that big of a deal, is it? I mean, considering what is at stake here, I mean a little deception come on you just whatever the second part though is even more interesting see it wasn't that abram was thinking i'll give up my wife gladly this beautiful this beautiful goddess of a wife i'll, I'll gladly give her up to save my own skin it wasn't that at all that's not what was going on here this was all about buying time if some shady people came They were overcome by Sarai's knockout beauty. Well, they'd be inclined to inquire about her. And when they found out that she was Abram's sister, and that Abram now, because their father had passed away, Abram was now the protector the legal guardian, if you will, of Sarai, well then rather than just having that initial inclination, well, you know, she's married, the only way we're going to get her is just kill this guy and we'll just take her. No, 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 no. Reasonable people would say, okay, she's your sister, how much do you want for her? <laughs> Let's negotiate here. That's customary. That was, that was understandable. And these things take time to negotiate. Give me, a, give me an offer. Make me an offer. What do you think? All right, well, I, I need to go think it over. You know, I'm gonna, We'll sleep on it. We'll come back tomorrow. And the whole idea was that in the process of this negotiation, we're buying time. And Sarai, you and I will sneak off. We'll find a way. In the middle of the night, whatever it takes, it'll give us time to escape these crazy people. That's what I think's going on here. I'm buying time. This is the genius plan. Just say, you're my sister. We'll get some time, and we'll gather everything up, and we'll sneak off. We'll be fine. It's brilliant. Not only would he be saving her from being stolen away, not only would he be saving his own life, but he'd also be protecting God's plan to boot. Abram was quite the problem solver, quite the forward thinker, quite the planner. And not only that... His motives were good, right? These are good things. The only problem was, this wasn't the way of faith. Wasn't the way of faith. One commentator writes this Abram was living as if the God who had spoken to him in Ur, who had promised those incredible personal global blessings, who had led him to and through Canaan and promised it to his descendants, did not exist. God was not in the driver's seat. Abram was. How is it possible for such a great man of faith to have failed in his faith? But if you place your trust in Jesus, you know that continuing to trust God, especially in tough times, that is not an easy thing to do, is it? This is not an easy thing to do. In fact, if we're if we're not continually reminding ourselves of the hope that we have in God and how big and powerful and able this God is, then we quickly fall back into trusting in ourselves, don't we? It happens again and again and again, and that is not a good place to be. For Abram, it was disastrous. Absolutely disastrous. Things don't go as planned. Look at verse 14. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. It's true. She's in her 60s and she's very beautiful. I don't know how. It's amazing. She's gorgeous. Gotta have her. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he, and he had sheep and oxen, and male donkeys, male servants, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> In probably just about every other case, Abram's plan would have worked beautifully. It would have been just fine. A couple days to think this over, we'll sneak off, we'll go to a different place. Fight, live to fight another day. But I don't think he realized he might be dealing with Pharaoh. A man who does not negotiate. He takes what he wants. He doesn't need to negotiate. He doesn't need to offer anything. He wants her. He has her brought to him. And so the princes come and they report about Sarah's beauty and she is taken. So much for protecting God's plans now. You thought you had everything under control. You thought everything was good, and yet now everything is out of control. Completely out of control. In fact, you have no control. This is, there's absolutely nothing that Abram can do now. Are you going to go fight Pharaoh? Are you kidding me? No. is some traveling Bedouin. He doesn't care about what you say. As far as he knew, Sarai would be taken into Pharaoh's harem, never to be seen or heard from again. Can you imagine? But there is a silver lining to this, right? Silver lining in all of this is that Pharaoh was not ungrateful. He makes Abram a wealthy, wealthy man. See, to you and I, sheep and oxen and donkeys and male servants, female servants, that all doesn't mean that much does it in fact they might be seen as anything but a gift here how would you I'd like to care for all these animals here you know and, and feed them take care of them my dad was joking the other day about uh, getting our daughters a puppy for christmas and it's a joke because he knew <laughs> he knew how i feel about animals and he knew that the last thing I would ever want is to have to care for someone else. I mean, isn't having kids enough? This is so much work. I was looking at a, I was looking at a video the other day about how to care for these little aquatic turtles and there's this 20-year-old girl in the video, and she's saying, don't get one of these. They're wonderful. Don't, don't get one of these, because you don't understand how much work they are. And she went on for about 15 minutes to talk about how much work these turtles are. And as she's talking, you know what I was thinking? This woman's never had kids. She has no idea what is, what is work and what is not. But you know, in Abram's day... And especially for this traveling man, these gifts would have been like winning the lottery. And I've read up about some of this stuff. Getting donkeys is one thing, but getting female donkeys? This is like inheriting luxury sedans. They, they, the, the ride quality was far better The control that you have over these things, it was just superior to that of male donkeys. And camels, camels in Abram's day, they were just being introduced as domesticated animals. These were super luxury items, only for the super, super rich. And it says here that Abram was not just given one. It says camels, plural. We don't know if that was two, if that was three. We don't know how many camels he got. But for a man in that day to have camels, this guy must have been somebody. He was now a rich, rich man. But how could he enjoy these riches when you just lost your wife? Imagine what that would have felt like. A blessing, I think, would have felt a lot more like a curse. A curse. A constant reminder of how I failed. And that is exactly when God intervenes. You see, God had told Abram that he had big plans for him. He told him that he would bless him. He told him that through him he was going to bless others. He said that he was going to make him a great nation. God's plans could not be destroyed because of Abram's lack of faith or foolishness, verse 17 says, "But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai abram's wife. And so God supernaturally intervenes and rains down plagues on Pharaoh and Pharaoh's house. We don't know what these plagues looked like. Maybe they were some type of odd illness. Maybe it was some type of skin disease, maybe boils like would come later on in the, the plagues we all know about. We don't know what they were like. Pharaoh may not have suspected anything until someone said, you know, everyone's sick here except for this woman you just took, Sarai. She's fine. She's fine. And I'm sure she was brought to him. And I'm sure she was questioned. And with enough enough persuasion, I'm sure it eventually came out, well, I am his sister, but I'm also his wife. And that's when we see Pharaoh call Abram to task. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is it you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister? So I I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And what a humiliating moment that must have been for Abram. Even in the eyes of someone who did not trust God, did not love God, did not honor God. And in that man's eyes, you are now seen as someone who is completely immoral, having no honor, some type of despicable, dishonest wretch. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away it's like armed guard taking this man and his company away along with his wife and all that he had so abram went up from egypt he and his wife all that he had lot with him into the negev back into the desert so there would be no setting up altars in egypt No shining examples of worship to the one and only true God. No, that's out out the window. That's not going to happen anymore. Abram's witness was completely wrecked because of his failure to trust and rely on God. And so he packs up and he heads north, and now he'll have to trust God for food. We have nowhere else to go. We've got to go back into the desert, back into the famine-ridden land. Now we got to trust God. Abram was a pillar of faith, and yet even Abram, when times got tough, failed to rely on God to carry him through. Instead, he trusted in his own devices, in his own schemes. They were clever, but that was a mistake. And that's what can happen when we take our eyes off of God, who is enduringly faithful to trust in other things. We need to remember that trials that come our way, they are opportunities. They are opportunities to rely on the one who is enduringly faithful. Trials that come our way are opportunities to rely on the one who is enduringly faithful. And yet even when we fail to trust, even when our faith wanes and it crumbles... We've got to remember that where our faith fails, Christ succeeded. He succeeded on our behalf. When Jesus was tempted, he remained faithful. When trials came his way, his faith was rock solid. And you know, Abram may be an example to us of great faith. Great example! You should definitely look to Abram and say, wow, I want to be like that guy. But Christ was absolute perfection. God promised that Abram would be a blessing, but the real, true, ultimate blessing that would come from Abram was Jesus. Abram is an example of faith. Jesus is the real deal. He alone is the the author and perfecter of our faith, we're told. He's the one who gives us faith, and he's the one who empowers us to live by faith. He's the epitome of enduring faithfulness. If our faith is going to endure those times of trials, then we gotta look to him. And we gotta look to him alone. Are you going through a tough time right now? Are you going through a trial right now? I think most of us could probably raise our hands. Look to Jesus. Are you feeling like a failure because, once again, your best efforts have failed? Maybe they've even managed to make things worse. Look to Jesus. There's forgiveness there. And there's everything you need to carry you through. Are you sick and tired of trying to convince yourself and others that you're better than you really are? Are you fed up with carrying the guilt on your shoulders of things you've done in your past? Have you had enough of the shame that you feel from those despicable thoughts or despicable words or despicable actions that have come from you in your past? Look to Jesus. He was sent by God as the answer to our faults and failures. He took them upon Himself when He went to the cross. And by His blood, those are paid for in full. If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, today is the day to do that. There is no better time. And just lay it all out there and say, Lord, You are faithful, I am not. You are spotless, and I am not. You are powerful, and I am not. The things that I've done in my life, that those are for shame. And I know that God does not look on those with favor. In fact, I deserve to be punished for those. But Jesus, thank You for saving me. As you went to that cross and you hung there, I know that you had me in mind, that that sacrifice was for me. And the blood that was spilled was blood that I should have spilled, but you spilled it so that I don't have to. I trust in you, good Jesus, because you took my place. If you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, trust him today. It is good. Trust him with everything that you've got.